Chapter Eight of The Lady in Blue by Augusta Groner, translated by Grace Isabel Cobron. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Rose with Two Stems. Mueller was not greatly surprised when his enquiries at the Golden Horn Hotel brought forth the information that no lady answering the description of a colonel's widow had stopped at that hotel for months also that no lady travelling alone had arrived or departed during the first week in june the hotel was small the guests easily known the entire force of servants was positive that no lady had engaged a maid or that any girl looking for employment had come to the house during the days in question and there was no advertisement in the salzburg gazette for the days mentioned that could in any way be construed as the one antonia schreiner claimed to have inserted Mueller whistled slowly as he walked out of the newspaper office. Something was developing in this case that intrigued the veteran manhunter and yet whetted his appetite for the chase. It looked as though it might turn out far more interesting even than Professor Thorne had seemed to think. At the police station, Mueller authorized the sending of an official telegram to the Department of Records in Linz. The message asked whether any information could be given concerning Antonia Schreiner, servant, about twenty-six years old, who claimed to have come from Linz and to have been there from the end of April until the 6th of May. Then Mueller went in search of Commissioner Senfeld, whom he knew to be at headquarters, on office duty for the day. The commissioner looked up in eager interest as the old detective came in. Well, he asked with a gesture toward the chair in front of his desk, it may be necessary to exhume the body, said Mueller, sitting down. The commissioner looked surprised. But there was no doubt about the cause of death. Oh, no, there is no doubt about that, replied Mueller calmly. I'm not interested in examining the body at all, but I want to look at the shoes and the front and bottom of the skirt. Commissioner Senfeld sat up, interested. Sensible officials did when Mueller made such remarks. He waited for a moment or two, then as the veteran detective did not speak, Senfeld asked, then you have grounds to believe it was not a suicide mueller did not answer but asked a question himself was there an autopsy yes but not a very thorough one senfeld could not resist a laugh i admit it was a mere formality dr panzer was able to determine the cause of death at once internal hemorrhage from a stab wound so there really was nothing else necessary i'm glad to hear that why i'm assuming that the body was not even undressed no it did not seem necessary excellent then the shoes and the gown are exactly as they were when elise layman returned to her home that evening not quite the gown was pierced by the dagger the bodice yes that doesn't interest me the effect on the gown would be the same in either case i mean in case of suicide or murder what i want to see is her skirt and her shoes why if i may ask i'll show you in the grey house can you meet me there to-day any time after six good i'll expect you there at six there was a knock at the door a constable brought in a dispatch i hope that's the answer from lintz said mueller i had to wire them to ask some particulars concerning the dead woman's maid senfeld looked up in surprise why are you so interested in this antonia schreiner he asked opening the message i could understand if you'd seen her he continued with a smile for in spite of her evident illness she was a deucedly pretty woman indeed extremely pretty better than that extremely interesting but you think she was ill why she looked so pale really ill it takes a pretty woman to look interesting when she's ill doesn't it hm this young woman begins to interest me very decidedly what did i tell you not that way i've never been very inflammable 
but this Antonia Schreiner, or whatever her name is, then you don't think that was her real name? She certainly has won your interest. More than that, she has confused me a bit. Confused the detective in me, I mean, not the man, he added with a smile. Senfeld nodded. I understand. You begin to suspect her, although you first thought it was some man who was jealous of Baron Walroth's claims. It may still be so, replied Mueller, only I can't see just where this girl comes in. But you will see very soon, said Senfeld, looking at the old detective with genuine admiration. Mueller bowed. Praise from the profession is indeed gratifying, but these things always come to light sooner or later. Especially if Joseph Mueller helps, laughed Senfeld, who was a good sort. Now let's see what the Linz people have to say. He read the dispatch, then handed it to Mueller. Mueller read it and nodded. No record of any such person. I thought so. Then she has something to do with the murder. He folded the wire and put it in his pocket. Too bad that carpet had such an elaborate pattern. Senfeld's eyes and mouth opened. Mueller went on calmly. Because if the pattern had been simpler or plainer, and if everyone else had as good eyes as I have, Senfeld's hand was on the detective's arm, and he asked quickly, What then? Then this Antonia Schreiner, about whose real name, antecedents, and position we know absolutely nothing, would have been kept under observation, and we would have been several steps nearer the solution of the mystery. The commissioner's fresh-colored face took on a deeper red. He felt thoroughly ashamed of himself, more so than ever before in his official career. He realized it was his place to have discovered something of the truth of this case. But he had taken the simple, obvious explanation for granted, and instead of suspecting this girl in the slightest, or even considering the possibility that suspicion might attach to her, he had treated her with sympathetic courtesy, and had taken a greater interest in her appearance than in her possible connection with the case, and he had left it to an outsider to discover that the girl had lied in every detail that concerned herself. She would naturally have good reasons for doing so. Senfeld realized that his conduct had been inexcusable in a police official. How could I have been so blind? he said, low and humbly. Mueller hastened to comfort him. Oh, no, you saw everything that several other people saw who were not at all blind. Because you didn't see one tiny little detail, which was not easy to see, you had good and valid reasons for accepting the version of suicide. But I'll show it to you this afternoon, show you why I know it was not suicide. And by the way, I knew that this morning before this Tony got into the picture. It was the sitting-room carpet that told me the truth, and it will tell you, too, when you question it closely. But now, please, tell me everything you know about this girl for I, too, paid little attention to her and to what you have already told me about her. Mueller noted down what the commissioner told him. The latter had to hunt around in his memory a bit to supplement the bare statements on the police blotter with more personal details, such as did not particularly concern the girl's looks. Mueller had his dinner served upstairs in his own room at the hotel. To the very correct waiter's surprise, he insisted on having his servant at the table with him. The shy Russian, with his furtive eyes, in which constant terror seemed to lurk, and his unspecified position of something between valet and secretary, was a mystery to the hotel force. They did not like him and had already made up their minds that there was something suspicious about the lad. Ossip paid no attention to their distrustful looks. His attitude toward his master was one of dog-like devotion. His manners, when he could forget his continual suspicion and distrust, were those of a man of education. You are not eating, said Mueller kindly, looking over at Ossip's pale face. The young Russian blushed. 
Do you remember, sir? It's just a year. Tomorrow. His voice trembled. Mueller looked at him, then his face brightened into a smile of deep sympathy. Just a year since you have been with me. A year tomorrow. I had nearly forgotten. And yet I had planned to tell you something when the year was up, something that may please you. I want to tell you that I have never for one instant regretted the fact that I went into Nikola Pludov's barn that stormy night. Oh, Mr. Mueller, his voice choked with emotion. Ossip left his place and knelt beside Mueller, bending his face over the old detective's hand. There, there, boy, don't be so upset, Mueller crooned softly, as if to a child, passing his hand over the boy's rough, dark hair. Mueller's relations with Ossip Julith and the boy's position in his house as his assistant had a story back of them, a story very characteristic of the famous detective's good heart and unerring judgment of human nature. One of his manhunts had taken him far afield into Siberia, stopping a good day's drive from the railway to change horses at a little toll station. The station master had told him of a boy hiding out in his shed. The lad was a fugitive from prison, drawn by anxiety to see his mother again. Nikola Pludov had found him in the snow, so nearly dead that there seemed little hope for him. He had come several hundred miles on foot, suffering incredible hardships. The good people had nursed him back to health, but had no money to help him on his journey. They trusted this kind-faced stranger and asked him to befriend the unfortunate lad. Mueller went to the shed and questioned the boy. Ossip acknowledged that he had committed a murder. In uncontrollable rage he had struck down the man who insulted his mother and defiled her name. He had endured two years in a Siberian prison until word had come to him somehow that his mother was ill. Then he managed to escape and started out on a mad journey that nearly cost him his life. With tears in his eyes, the lad begged the stranger to help him get to his home. Could he but see his mother again, he would return voluntarily to the prison to serve the remaining half-year of his sentence. Mueller's heart was as kind as his judgment was sound. He took the boy with him as his valet, but Ossip reached home too late. His mother was dead. In his deep pity, Mueller kept him with him and would not allow him to return to the horrors of Kara. Joseph Mueller had his own ideas about people who had been in prison. Under certain conditions, he thought them the best sort of material from which to train up assistants for his own work. And this boy had been a college student, possessing a keen, intelligent mind. There was no further interest in life for Ossip except the one feeling of devotion to the man who had trusted and befriended him. He proved an apt pupil, and Mueller gave him as much work as possible, trying to bring the healing influence of an active interest into the mind darkened by sad and terrible memories. Ossip cared little for people generally. He found it hard to overcome the years of humiliation and the continuous whip of fear that had accompanied him on his mad flight through the Siberian wilderness. But for Mueller's sake, he tried to be like other people and did succeed sometimes. Mueller had told him it was more valuable for his work. Men in our profession, the detective said now, have to keep themselves as inconspicuous as possible. The less people notice and talk about us, the better for the success of our work. For the less they notice us, the easier can we observe and study them. So cheer up, Ossip, and eat your dinner, for the waiter will wonder why two grown men can't make way with this simple meal. We don't want anybody wondering about us in this town just yet. You're young, that's cause enough to be cheerful. Mueller turned to his own plate with a light sigh. 
he had felt of late that the burden of years weighed on him more than he liked after dinner they sat down by the window to the enjoyment of a good cigar while the waiter was in the room they talked of indifferent things the interesting buildings of the fine old city its famous mountain surroundings quite like any ordinary tourists but as soon as they were alone muller told ossip that he wanted him to go to the grey house and hang about there particularly on the side toward the river most of the afternoon he could take a book and sit by the river on one of the numerous benches he might see something or someone that would be worth noting to test the boy muller's description of the house and its location was short and rather casual they were to meet by the river about seven o'clock but first of all there is a telegram to dispatch then come back for a letter i must write the telegram was addressed to walter thorne and read as follows your suspicion seems justified letter follows please wire me at once any information you may have that would aid in finding the lady's personal servant then send by letter all possible details concerning this person the girl has spread a web of lies about herself and seems to have something to do with the case it was a lengthy message but muller believed in long telegrams where necessary he had had experience with messages that were misunderstood because too condensed an hour later muller had finished a lengthy letter to the same address which he turned over to ossip to post the boy then set out for the grey house muller remained in his room for some little while pacing up and down slowly the old detective was irritated he had struck a trail which his unerring instinct told him should be followed at once and yet he had to depend on others or lose much valuable time in a difficult search for what any of several people could have found out if they had kept their wits about them don't suppose i'll get much help from thorne either he thought deucedly pretty extremely interesting yes they all fall for that like flies for a honeypot our good commissioner seems to have paid far more attention to the girl's looks than to her words during his investigation hm fine investigation he was a lot more interested in the living woman than in the dead one so of course he had no time for consideration of the simple fact that a rose doesn't usually have two stems it was left to old muller to point that out eh we may be getting old but we can still see a thing or two and we would not have let this deucedly pretty and extremely interesting miss x throw sand in our eyes of course professor thorne well he has a professional right to forget everything else over beauty whenever he finds it he'd hardly be likely to notice anything about the girl that would give us a clue to find her i'll have to play a lone hand on this hunt for her less beautiful qualities muller grumbled to himself as he prepared to go out he went to the cemetery famous for its location but muller was interested only in elise layman's grave he found a couple of men busy planting flowers on the newly raised mound stopping to talk to them he learned that the dead lady's fiance had ordered a splendid stone for the grave it must have been the gentleman who was here a day or so ago said one of the men he cried real hard as if he felt awful bad about her death probably the only person who did feel that way suggested muller the old working man shook his head oh no sir there's a pretty young lady been here twice since the funeral she cried too i saw her muller was interested a young woman yes sir maybe you know who she was if you know the dead lady's friends muller wondered if his idea was the right one was it a young woman in the twenties pretty but sickly looking yes sir that's she she wasn't what you'd call sickly looking not that way i mean she was a well-built sort but pale and looked as if she was awful sorry for the poor dead lady 
she left this nice rose-bush and asked me to plant it on the grave. Hmm. When was she here last? asked the detective thoughtfully. Day before yesterday. Twas dark already when she came in to go to the grave. She gave me three goulden for letting her in after the doors was closed. Oh, that's why you remembered so well, said Mueller with a smile, which was met by an answering one on the wrinkled face before him. Yes, sir, I don't often get such tips, and I ain't so old but what I can notice a nice-looking wench yet, sir. I see. Anything more you can tell me about her? No, sir, except that she told me she was going away on the train that evening. But she didn't say where she was going? No, sir. Mueller dropped a coin into the man's hand and went on his way. He was so absorbed in his thoughts that he nearly fell over a wheelbarrow in the path. She came to the grave several times and cried there, and brought a rose-bush and gave a tip of three gulden, rather generous for a servant, if she was a servant, which I doubt. Mueller walked on slowly, taking one of the fine promenades along the river-bank until he came in sight of the grey house. Ossip came to meet him, waving his hat. "'So you found the house, did you?' asked Mueller. "'That was easy. I've done much harder things. Have you found anyone or anything interesting?' "'There's a man, a young man, has passed the house several times. When I first saw him he was standing looking up at one of the windows through the gate on the riverside. He seemed interested. Most people in the town are interested in this house just now. But this young man seemed particularly interested. I saw his eyes while he looked at the house. There was so much expression in them. Oh, there he is again.' Mueller, Ossip at his side, started to walk again, keeping to the path along the river-bank. A man was coming along this path from the opposite direction, a young man. He carried his hat in his hand, and the afternoon sun gilded his fair hair. Goldie boy, flashed through Mueller's mind. The man was deeply absorbed in thought, and his lips were moving as if he were talking to himself. Just as they got near enough to see him well, he stopped, took out pencil and paper from a case he carried, and began to write eagerly. Mueller gave a short laugh, a laugh at his own supposition. Goldie Boy, whom he intended to look up when he had enough data to go by, was evidently a businessman of some kind, probably a traveling salesman. He could not have been very young, for his letters proved him an experienced lover. But this lad was youth and innocence itself, very evidently a college student. And at the present moment, he seemed to be eagerly writing a poem of his own composition. He was so absorbed that he did not see the men approaching. Swan Song he exclaimed as he put what seemed to be a last flourish to the title. But just then he stumbled over a rock in the path, and the pencil flew out of his hand. It recalled him to actuality, and when he had recovered his property he found himself looking into the faces of two strange men, the elder of whom was frankly smiling at him in friendly sympathy. The youth blushed deeply, bowed, and passed on. "'I think you'd better follow him, Ossip,' whispered Mueller. "'I want to know who he is.' I may need to question him later. The Russian nodded and strolled off down the path after the disappearing poet. Mueller had taken the gate key with him that morning and slipped into the garden unseen by Mrs. Diesler in her kitchen. The detective knew Buchner was not at home, for he had passed the gardener going toward the town some time back. He could roam about the garden and study the outside of the house at will. There was a window open in Buchner's little cabin, up some distance from the ground, but Mueller was still agile in spite of his sixty years, and he climbed in easily. He wanted to obtain some insight into the character and habits of this one man around the grey house, 
the one man who had easy access to the house and grounds at any time. Buchner's somewhat gruff manner did not prepossess people in his favor, but the interior of his neat cabin and the condition of the few papers and belongings in the room showed him to be orderly and thrifty. Mueller's short examination convinced him that he could put the gardener entirely out of his mind as far as any possible connection with the case was concerned. The detective climbed out of the window again and walked toward the house. The gardener came in at the gate just then, and Mueller went to meet him with unusual friendliness, feeling that he owed the man an apology for his suspicions. As they stood chatting, Commissioner Senfeld came up, and the two officials went upstairs. The death room lay in bright sunshine, every line on the carpet clear and definite, in spite of the intricacy of the pattern. "'I am curious to know what you are going to show me,' said the Commissioner. Mueller smiled without speaking, moved a few steps forward, and looked down at the floor. Senfeld stepped up beside him, followed his glance, and saw what he had not seen on that fateful morning. The big Axminster carpet rug had a light ground on it which was a pattern of entwining roses with long stems. Senfeld knelt beside one of these sprays and bent down over it. Although he bent deep enough to have sent the blood to his face, his cheeks were noticeably pale. His eyes stared down at the carpet. And yet it was such a little thing he was staring at, nothing but a narrow, red-brown line. It ran parallel to an almost similar line, differing from it only in that the other line was a graceful broken curve, and this particular line was stiff and straight. The curved line was the stem of a deep yellow rose, and one end of the straight line touched the center of a rose petal. Then she did die of another's hand, murmured the commissioner. Yes, she died by another's hand, said Mueller, who had moved to the mantelpiece and taken up the dagger that lay there. He stooped and placed the dagger on the straight red-brown line. The line in the carpet was exactly the length of the stained portion of the steel blade. While Senfeld looked at the dagger, then at his companion, Mueller stared off into vacancy, his lips moving slowly. Finally, he spoke. I imagine it was something like this. His voice was low and monotonous. The man, I feel sure it was a man, struck Elise Lehman down and then staggered back against the wall here, horrified at what he had done. He still holds the dagger tightly in his clenched fist. He stares down at the dead woman as the realization of his cruel deed, the comprehension of its full import, presses into his heart and brain. Suddenly he notices the weapon in his hand, and, shuddering, casts it from him. It falls to the floor, here. Yes, that is where it fell, repeated Senfeld softly as he rose to his feet. Where did they find it next morning? asked Mueller in a more natural tone. Can you show me the exact spot? Senfeld led the way to the bedroom door, stood a moment in thought, and pointed to a spot on the edge of the rug. It was very nearly the exact spot indicated by both the housekeeper and the gardener. "'There's no mark of blood here,' said Mueller, which proves that the dagger was quite dry by the time the murderer placed it there, to give the appearance of suicide. He must have remained here with the body for some time. Blood does not dry easily, particularly not on a cold, wet night.' and we know it was cold and wet on the night of May 29th. I can't understand, yet, why the murderer should stay here with his victim. The impulse is usually to flee, to get away from the horror and the possible danger. I can see no reason for his lingering all that time. But if the house was closed, suggested Senfeld. Mueller shook his head. There are plenty of windows here, and most of them are surrounded by heavy old ivy. 
an active man could easily climb down into the garden besides the key to the side door is in the lock and the big conspicuous key of the river gate hangs near the door in the hall you could hardly miss it the gates are easy to climb no there are ways enough of escape from these rooms i cannot understand why he should have stayed here until the blood dried on that dagger if i could find out why i can see but one answer said senfeld slowly and that is that the maid is the murderer yes did you find out what money or jewelry the dead woman had in her possession i went through the desk hastily there was nothing of any value to be found there are about three hundred crowns there now said muller yes continued senfeld baron walroth told me that he had given miss lehman six hundred crowns on may first as far as he knew she had no other money and very little jewelry then it doesn't look like a robbery there might have been a quarrel and a moment of mad rage but that hardly seems possible when the two women came home together quite peaceably and-and were together only a few minutes after that cut in senfeld the housekeeper is witness that the girl was not near her mistress all night why what's the matter what what muller's head had gone sharply erect his eyes were half closed he held his breath as if listening to some far-away sound senfeld stared at him equally breathless until the tense moment passed and muller smiled his familiar smile again she arranged her alibi neatly didn't she he remarked lightly you're deucedly pretty extremely interesting miss unknown looks to me like a very slick specimen good lord muller's voice had a sharp note of anger in it now to think you let her get away senfeld's head drooped and he looked so unhappy that muller felt sorry for his little outburst of temper don't worry he said kindly that's happened to others before you and you are all the more excusable in this case as you are still young enough to feel the power of feminine charm the woman must have something very attractive about her even the wrinkled old cemetery attendant admired her muller told his companion of his visit to the cemetery then he led him to the wardrobe closet and showed him the blue silk gown and the muddy shoes do you think this charming unknown would be so careless with her mistress's good clothes look there's mud on the bottom of this skirt too at one spot as if it were dragged over a dirty carriage step would any trained maid put clothes away in such a condition or did miss lehman change her clothes before she was killed why should she have done this there may be some meaning in the fact that these articles a silk gown muddied the muddy shoes and this long black cloak muller opened that part of the wardrobe were thrust in hastily and carelessly while all the other garments hang in orderly rows you laugh let me tell you commissioner it is just little things like this trifles seemingly of no importance that have led me to some of my greatest triumphs is that why you want the body exhumed asked the commissioner yes that is why but now if you don't mind i'd like to be alone you mean i am to go if you don't mind not in the least replied senfeld cheerfully for it's you who belong here not i we've proved that conclusively if you need me you'll find me in the bellevue cafe after eight o'clock the commissioner held out his hand to the old detective and walked slowly out of the room muller scarcely noticed his going he sat still deep in thought for some time then he rose looked around and remarked no i am sure it was a man End of chapter eight